we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging at death, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? The saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. The reason you're hearing so much background sound today is the same reason why we're not eating cheese. Because we're in a pub. We are. A very nice pub. It is a very nice pub. And I thought that's where we'd start. Because you were saying the other day that you think that the, the small pub is the future of Brisbane. A lot of it going on, so we had a change to the licensing rules um, a year or two back, um, so it's easier and cheaper for yeah. people to, to open a small bar um, in Brisbane. It certainly wasn't easy to run a small pub when I was running pubs. I don't know if it's easy to run one, but it's in terms of liquor licensing, liquor licensing basically hated small pubs when yeah. I was running pubs with a passion. Yeah, I think it's good for the city. Like, I, I live, you know, a block from, from here. Um, Which would be very handy after a few of these. Uh, and, you know, we've got Super Whatnot, we've got the Gresham where we are today that's open, um, Survey Co, the Rimble Bar there, and also Mr. and Mrs. G's on the river. So they've just all opened in the last 12, 18 months. So Burma and I were talking last week about um, fine food, fine dining in Brisbane, and he had a theory that places like these were starting to eat into the fine food market because people could go out, have a couple of beers and try tapas that wasn't really tapas, but small amounts of food, and, and, and you know, like they were getting really good food, but in small amounts, and it wasn't as formal. Um, is, yeah, is, that, is that the case? So I think that uh, people probably eat out more than they once did. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Are Even we getting... for myself, I live right in the city. It's not sustainable to do fine dining really too often. Um, it's an indulgence. It's a special occasion. As much as it has ever been. But now I think the quality of food at the smaller places is getting better. So people will think maybe, maybe they'll spend less and go to the small places. Well, are we getting to the stage where... Um, the, the New York apartment with no kitchen. Is, could Brisbane do that yet? Well, I think that developers have played with that concept in Brisbane. I guess putting my property hat on it um, pretty much limits your, your resale, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I suppose with the amount of ca- good quality casual dining that there is within sort of a 5k radius from the city, like I always sort of equate it back to jumping on the 199 bus, yep. which goes, you know, to the top of West End, Pine Hill, through New Farm, oh, okay. down to Tenerife, if you count the number of restaurants that are accessible in that triangle. on that 199 alone, yep. it's, it's massive, so I guess theoretically you could be yeah. It's not that appealing to me. No. I think they're building these uh, developments with the like kitchens and small kitchens.
departments like with what's going on with Gasworks and the population density down yeah. there, and they're becoming restaurant hubs. Same with uh, so, so the barracks, theory is it, it's like it's like a mini forest lake, isn't it? The whole idea is that yeah. you know you got your community and you don't have to go anywhere to do anything. I think they call them uh, in the property trade vertical villages. Yeah, right. So everything that you need is within contained in that little village development. Well, it's funny because that one at Kelvin Grove, um, which I thought would just absolutely kill it, and it failed miserably. Like, there hasn't been a deli in there since it opened. Yeah, I think delis are probably a bit harder than you know. That, that still implies that you're going to go and eat it in your own home. Yeah. I know nothing about this whole thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's all Kelvin Grove had, you know, and it's not really university accommodation. I think it'd be more lecturers and. Yeah, maybe university students with parents with money, but you know there was a butcher there, and originally it was an IGA and a deli and a nice bottle shop, and it, you know the deli just went broke and uh, the bakery went broke. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to work in um, retail property, so mm. what I did was I worked with developers. They from you know choosing a site, feasibility, planning, architects, you know all the rest of it, through to leasing it selling the finished development on to investors and you do a thing in the beginning a tansy mix so you know you go through and you go I'll put the butcher there the bacon there the deli there the people have these cafes who this is who we want to target these are the uses that we want to have but sometimes they're not really tied to the demographics of the kind of people that are going to live in that area Um, and so that's why you see these developments where they successfully put in all the different retail uses Mm. the butcher the baker the candle maker and then they some of them fail yeah I wonder whether they would have been better off going out to Sunnybank and poaching the best three you know, little Asian dumpling restaurants and putting well, them there, whether that would have made it's it. It's a good plan, but then what happens is the developer of the new vertical village, they want three times the rent yeah. of oh, yeah. the, um, the guys at Sunnybank. So yeah. the Sunnybank guys go, well, I'm creaming it here, so, you know. Yeah. Is it maybe that delis and bakeries and gourmet butchers look great when you're trying to sell apartments and Absolutely. you can see yourself there, like the people who are buying them? It's one thing to see it and go, oh, I could get a piece of that, but once you're in there, you're like, once it's vented, I'm going to get my terrible stuff from Coles or... Yeah, that's And there's not the culture of buying stuff from specialists in Brisbane, I don't reckon. What, what we, it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. We don't have the markets and the, and the delis and the, and the places to go, so people aren't trained to do that, so then they don't... So those businesses can't keep going? Someone's going to put themselves out there Mm. and make it available and do the right promotion and have the right products and really do the the PR that's required and take a risk. If you had that option or some other safe option of making a bar, unless you're really passionate about what you're doing, Mm. you probably get the safe option. It's the lack of... Oh, not, I don't live in the inner city anymore, so I can't really talk. But the the food markets is what you know I really envy from Victoria because like we have a market in Beanley, um, and it's just the stuff that comes from Rockley. It's the same stuff that Woolies get, probably not even that good as good as quality as what Woolies get. Um, so it's hardly worth going to. Tambourine has one 
one a month that's the proper farmer's markets. You get good stuff there, but yeah, yeah. can't really do your shopping on it. No. Do you go to farmer's markets? I go to Rockley every Saturday when yeah. I'm not working. Yeah. My wife tends to go... So is, is Rockley a good, a good farmer's one or a... I wouldn't know. I mean, there's a bunch of people there. I tell yeah. you, just to shop around. The quality, the quality is phenomenal. You can get stuff that you can't get in other places. I don't know if it's farmers pitching up or it's you know people who own fruit and vegetables. Yeah. At the end of the day, like you know, it's nice for farmers markets. I think though, the reality is that some of the farmers markets that are around are just aren't really stuffed by farmers and they're really reselling. What you ultimately want to have is you know the variety. Yeah, but, but that's all right as long as the people know their their stuff because um, the West End ones, like again, I've been living near to Brisbane for five or six years now. But I remember rocking up at the West End markets and going to buy apples from this lady who had hundreds of apples. And I'm like, oh, what's good? And she's like, well, these ones have just been picked. They've been picked from this area. And she knew her stuff. And she's like, these ones have been in storage. These ones have just been picked. And you, and she, like, you tried them and you could tell the difference. Um, so it didn't matter that she wasn't a farmer. She knew her stuff and she could point me in the right direction. I mean, it's like, for me, my line, you know, I could go to... Dan Murphy's or First Choice or whatever and you know, they've got I don't know however many thousand product lines in there but they don't have anybody that I can talk to about oh what's this like you know if I wanted a Chardonnay that was like this what's the best one what's yeah. the best value whereas you can go to an independent That's and right. like the lady with the apples well, they know about the products again being limited by choice by my geography but I, I went into Dan Murphy's on an afternoon and, and we're doing a little extension because I've got multiple children coming <laughs> um, and um, I was buying a bottle of whiskey for, um, um, for a mate that was coming around to do some painting so I'm, I'm massively scared of heights and he's not so he was doing the sort of the, the top ease and I just happened to come in when they were doing a, a promotion yeah. on whiskeys. And the guy's like, oh, do you want to do, do a tasting? It's like 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I'm like, sure. <laughs> and he's like, what do you like? And I'm like, oh, I really like those those peaty, you know, the Lafrague sort of style. And he's like, all right. He said, I'll, I'll go out. And he brought out um, three that were in the style. One which was like a real trendy, um, it was called Big Pete, I think. Yeah. It was pretty ordinary. It's probably a blend. Yeah. And it sort of, it almost tastes like that liquid smoke in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but the other two were quite nice, and, and I actually bought one of the ones that I that I taste that I tasted um, for Joe at the end, and we had a couple that night. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I just thought, I wonder if if they invested the time to have someone like that. Like he obviously knew his gear, yeah. but I, you but know, I've, I've been there hundreds of times, and I've never had that experience he's before. A rep, though, I guess. No, no, he was a, he was a dance okay. guy. But whether or not, yeah, he probably had a personal. You know, he probably owned that section yeah. of the shop, you know. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, but I guess um, there's, like, to me, and not every, I realise not everybody has this option available to them, mm. but wherever I can, and I know you're probably the same, you'd rather support someone who's running their own business yeah. and they're local and they're passionate about you know, what they do. Um, and if it's if the price is competitive, then that's good. But yeah. if it costs a bit more, I'm I'm quite happy experience. to play pay a bit more for good stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay a bit more. Yeah. If they're 
they're nice people. If I feel like I'm buying it from a person and not an organisation, yeah, it's trying to just shill me things. Yeah, and that's right. Look someone in the eye and you know throw an extra few dollars there. If well, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I work in a food industry and you know we sell stuff to butchers and the reason we do so well like obviously you've got to be price competitive and blah 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 but the reason we don't do so well is we've got sort of key people that love the food and um, you know run the trials and makes the lot we're doing a dry cured bacon this week um, and no one sells a dry cured bacon cure everything in Australia commercially is pretty much wet cured and um, so yeah the general manager and I are you know in there rubbing stuff into bacon and turning it every second day and we'll get the smokehouse out tomorrow and smoke it but it's it's being able to go out and sort of talk to the customers about that yeah well that's you know adding your knowledge we're never going to make huge amounts of money selling dry cure in in Queensland um, um, might make huge amounts of money selling drug cure to me. But well, and that's also, you're selling, you know, that extra knowledge and expertise. Yeah. And also, you're selling service, because in, in doing those things, doing the trials that you do, you're able to say to your customers, right. we, well, here's something else you can do yeah. that we can help you with. Uh, you're I, selling I, the story. Yeah, that's you're and that's the idea of someone making their own. And that's why we do all our own trials ourselves. You know, because then I can go into a shop. He might not want dry cure, but I can tell him about the dry cure and say, you know, hey, we made this up, we tasted it, and we lost this much. You know, I can talk the technical stuff with him, but I can also say, we've all, we've done all this, so you don't have to, sort of thing. You know, I just realised that something really bad's going to happen in a while. What's that? We're going to run out of beer. Beer. That's all right. <laughs> I'm already running. That's, that's what you've got. <laughs> the, that's why it's got the slide to pause. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, that's good to know because I was getting a little bit, you know. This podcast is really funny. Because I live so far out of town and, and um, like, I have a small child and you, you try and – we both work full time, so you try and sort of balance it out. Vanessa normally does the mornings and I do the afternoons. But I coach on a Wednesday night, so this is, you know, my one bit of spare time in between. But I normally go around to Sal's, who lives just around the corner from where we train. We have a few wines and have a chat. And I'm normally quite stressed. Or the last two seasons, I've been quite stressed when I start training. This season, everyone's going, man, you are so incredibly relaxed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, half a bottle of wine will do that for you. <laughs> But it's very easy to um, not only have a social sort of group of like-minded people, but to share information. Yeah. It's so easy to share information. Like um, all the garden, little gardening problems I've had, or you know, just stuff like that, and you can just put it out there and get. Or 
or, you know, get information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, recently. So you, you've got chalks? I do have a couple of chalks. And which suburb do you live in? Yeah, that's not too bad. I had chooks in Red Hill and started a little revolution. I had my neighbour next door to me in South Brisbane, five or six. Yeah. Rowing my yard and his yard. And yeah, well, I got chooks. That's what got me into it, I guess. And the neighbour went, Oh, you've got chooks. I remember having chooks. So they got chooks, and then another neighbour got chooks. My, my neighbour behind me just bought a coke and cooked yeah, the yeah. yard, and she's just waiting to get in. So it's like so. keeping up with the Joneses. So chooks are uh, the new, you know, well, the, the, the first, car or. The, no, the first neighbour, it was a real nostalgia thing. Right. She was, And she had young. She probably had kids the same age as my, my boy is now, and she's like, "Oh, I can remember growing up in suburban Brisbane and having chickens, and and it was like, you know, well, it's pretty easy. You just build a coop and let them go." And so she got chooks, and her kids just loved them. The funniest thing was seeing this two-year-old walking around with a chook that was almost half her body weight, and like went from her knees to her head. She just picked this chicken up and just cuddle it like it was a doll. And, you know, chooks get used to that sort of stuff. My, my chickens wouldn't stand for that, although they, they might get used to it. But yeah. Right now, no. well, they got them very small, yeah. or like, like pullet sort of yeah. age. But, you know, I know adults that don't like chickens, and yet there was this two-year-old that would just pick a chook up that was almost my, my as big as her. I'm not really into chickens, yeah. so uh, my mother-in-law is a champion poultry breeder. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but... You know, I, they're all right, but I don't actually want to go in the coop. L- with living them. in Queensland? I don't like birds or closed spaces. I don't like being in the Yeah, right. Yeah, spaces. see. I don't know what that's about. Some kind of irrational phobia. Vanessa doesn't like, she's not keen when we have a rooster. Like, I think having a rooster is what being a smallholder is about. Like, if you don't have a rooster, you can't breed your own chooks. Do you know what I mean? I have to buy chickens. That's not civilised. And, and we had a really vicious, silky rooster of all things, you know, little tiny fluff ball. So like a bantam. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's literally like the size of a small football. Right. And all fluffy, like they look really cute, they spiky hair and stuff like that. But this thing was vicious, man. It would just attack you. We had house sitters and um, one of the house sitters' kids went in the morning to get the eggs and this silky just just went it and it got freaked and she got freaked out I mean, it's like, was it a black silky? no it was a white one ok because I've been reading I forget where now in some magazine about um, black chicken I think that's what it's called but it's like it's bantam they do in China I think with yeah. bantams and they're black silkies and they take all the feathers out and the skin's actually black oh right and it's kind of a delicacy I've seen yeah, yeah. Chicken. it's not very visually no, appealing it's, it's pretty weird um, yeah. I, I can't. So I just wondered because, you know, I'd be young, maybe teeing up when you do a kill. Yeah. Well, I've got, like I've got a couple of white silkies at the moment, but the rooster I've got at the moment is absolutely huge and he's an absolute just just gentle ass. Just leads his girls around the farm. And, so. Yeah, I might go in the coop then. Yeah. Might yeah. not. Really vicious at all? No. The one that's brooding at the moment, she has been a real pest to the dogs. Yeah, right. The dogs are running. Yeah, her bro- her broody chooks are the dumbest chooks you can find. It's just really aggressive. Because if I take her out in the morning, because otherwise she won't leave, 
and I sort of lock her out. She just has a chip on her shoulder for the rest of the day. Yeah. And if the dogs go near her, she'll, she'll go to she'll the, the toilet. One of them is a puppy, and the puppy is the most inquisitive, and yeah, yeah. it gets tanned up by the dogs. So I mean, maybe by the like time for a pet psychologist behaviourist <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. at well, your place. Definitely. Well, yeah. my, my cats, when they were, were young, you know, were like interest curious as cats are of the chickens. And one of the chickens went Jaffer, and he's never shown any interest of, in chickens ever again, which is very good. So, um, just because we were talking about chickens that you eat, and you mentioned your cat, mm. how adventurous are you about um, what you eat? Uh, I don't know. I've always wanted to grow snails. That's one of the, the, the things I really would like to get going at Lantana Land. It's evidently, it's, there's a mob down in the Hunter Valley that sell you kits. They're like, it's a two grand setup, and it's probably worth two grand, and you run a small holding, you never have two grand disposable cash. Um, and it's like a little sprinkler system and they sell you the snails and you just you put the food in and away you go. So is that the thing that you've got to keep it all really moist? Yeah, but it's, it's just like a mister and it, it keeps them contained. and um, Stops the snails from escaping. Yeah. So, I um, don't know if I'd eat cat. No, I mean, I, know, I wasn't suggesting um, that you should. But I've killed chickens and I've killed ducks. Ducks are... Look, I love duck, fantastic meat, but man, it's a pain in the ass to do as a small hold. It's a lot of work for not much meat. My mum keeps um, ducks, and there's a sort of a, a running gag in the family about um, doing a, a kill for special occasions, yeah. but they're just never quite special enough. Uh, <laughs> I did some really nice, that, that, and the homegrown ducks were, um, they had more flavour, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's just not worth the effort. I had geese, and the buggers flew away. I had a breeding pair, and I paid money for. It. I wasn't very happy about that. I um, I once uh, found myself in the situation of having to cater for a wake. Yeah. Right. Um, it was like I was I was living with uh, my uncle and aunt, and extended family, and. Um, Someone in the other side of the family who was quite elderly passed away, and um, lots of lots of family from the other side of the family were staying. And you know, I went to the funeral, and they're like, "Oh, you know, you should come to the, you know, the family service at the crematorium or whatever." Yeah, I'm just not really keen. Really, I feel a bit weird about that. So. As my way of avoiding that, I said, well, what about I cook for the way? Oh, how many people? Uh, it's about, it's okay, but... That's a fair chunk of people. What happened was a family friend who is a goose breeder, she yeah. sells geese, you know, prepared, sells it to restaurants and yep. she came round, um, you know, to give her condolences and with a couple of geese for me to cook for the way. Nice. Somehow the word had got out. Well, yes, but they're huge. Yeah, they're and, not they're um, not a small thing. And I hadn't cooked a goose before. I kind of understood the theory side of things yeah, from working in the restaurant. Not that we cook goose, but, you know, I worked with Asian chefs, stuff, that sort of thing. It'd be a couple of hours, wouldn't it? Three oh, or four? Oh, yeah, it's like three or four hours. So I did some research. It was before really 
internet. So yeah. made a few phone calls, uh, made a call to another family friend who's very good cook, you know, always lived on the farm, and just kind of person who just knows stuff. So yeah. she dictated a recipe to me as a Tuscan recipe or something. And uh, I know it involved a lot of the things that you do with Duck about, you know, when to render, render fat, fat and yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, but the most traumatic part of it was when I took it out of its bag. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about you know, the anatomy of a goose. So this big long neck just oh, yeah, out right. the bag into my face, spraying me with goose juices and blood and whatever. Nice. And I had all my stuffing ready to go, and uh, I was probably just stressing a bit by this point. Put my hand into the cavity. Of course, all the giblets are nicely yeah, packaged yeah. up in there. Nice, swishy, cold packed off to put this out. Yeah. Um, and uh, after all of the fast of cooking the goose, yeah. all of the turning and skin and all the rest of it, the hours, I didn't really eat any of not, not a fan of goose now? But all of the country folk who come down for the way oh, thought yeah. it was the best thing ever because they said that they used to eat goose and no one cooks that. I think I've got to find someone to sell me baby geese and raise them up. I think that's the way because they're very territorial and the geese I had came from the bottom of the hill and I think basically I kept them locked up for two weeks which is supposed to be enough time to re-acclimatise them but I think I let them out and they're like, cool, let's go home and off they went. So, uh, should we um, have a beer break? Mm, sure. I'll just pause this. So the, the next thing I really want to talk about was what what do you do if you want a garden in the inner city? Do you have a rooftop? Uh, I have a rooftop. Uh, I don't have a balcony. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have no outside space attached to my apartment, which that's probably unusual. Most people have a balcony. Yeah. Um, but I, I live in a heritage listed building. Oh, okay. So, um, there was, it, it there was balconies no balcony, so there's never going to have balconies. Office, so it doesn't have balconies now, but it has a huge rooftop. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've lived there for maybe six or seven years. I've actually never attempted to grow anything on the rooftop. It's a shared so, rooftop. So you, can you put whatever you want on it? Oh, probably within reason. Yeah. I mean, we, we joke about, um, you know, getting a cow up there. Mm. Um, Cows need a lot of grass. Yeah, that would be... I don't know how easy it would to be um, to put a round bale of hay it, in the it lift. It would be difficult. Oh, no, you could put it in the lift, but I don't know, it might upset the other tenants. Hay, hay makes a lot of mess, I'll tell you right yeah, now. Yeah, no, no, I, I know. We, um, when, I, when I went back and lived in um, northeast Victoria, I don't know, some kind of... I don't really remember what the origin of it was, but it was a running gag involving putting bales of hay in people's boots. Oh, yeah. Man, it makes a mess. Putting, like, gifting people bales of hay, putting big, like, gift ribbons around them. I don't really remember how it got started, but it was, like, all the best running gags. I don't remember how it got started. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've been really lucky this year. There's a neighbour next to us that has a 100-acre block, and because of the obscure zoning rules, um, they can't sort of split 10 acres off it and sell the other 90. It's got to be attached to a property. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of runs... We're on a ridge. We're on one side of a ridge. 
and they're down the other side, but 50 acres of their land is over on our side. Um, and they don't even live there, they rent it out. And so the, the, the rental people basically only use the house block and yeah. don't touch it. So I just ran some electric fence around, I don't know, four or five acres of this beautiful kaikuyu up on a hill and um, just whack my cows in it. And have, I've given my place probably a good three months rest. Um, and with this, the, the storm we got last night, it, it'll just bounce back. So I probably won't have to have, have the cows on my place for, for another six months. So. That's awesome. That is a dream of a yeah. Yeah, well, like, they wouldn't even, like, and even if they knew, they would probably be happy because it's, I'm keeping the lantana back and I'm keeping the weeds back off, off their property. So if, they, if I wasn't doing something, it would just be basically slowly being reclaimed by the lantana. So I guess to go back to your question, um, having any kind of chickens or livestock is pretty much out in the city. Mm. Um, but I have contemplated, like, hanging a window box out the window. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, you could put some herbs in it, yeah. tomatoes. Well, if you had your rooftop. Them, you put it on the rooftop. There's, um, when I was at Farmfest at Toowoomba for work last time, there's a mob that sells um, ready-built aquaponics tanks. Okay. So it's just got like a little hatch in it, and you mm. put your fish, you put goldfish, goldfish pretty hardy. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, but, and then it's got the, I don't know, probably four little, um, things the size of this table and it's got the pumps all built in ready to go. You don't have to do anything. It's very easy to manage. So you're saying that I could grow um, hydroponic marijuana on my roof? You could, yes. <laughs> I, would, I would suggest more, like I've got, I grow all my herbs in the aquaponics, yeah. like any leafy herb, like, um, you know, basil, chives, um, lemongrass, just goes fantastic. And because it's, it's really good for small spaces because it's not like soil where you have to have space, otherwise everything sort of sucks up the nutrients next to it. Aquaponics, you basically, every last little inch you just grow, as long as it's getting sun. Um, yeah, one of the things that I have uh, talked about doing and just not really followed it up with Kat from B13 is you know, seeing the building and being agreeable to having... Some bees up there. I get I get bees back tomorrow. He's he's bringing me a new car so tomorrow. Jack yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. There's a spot near me that I would love to have a cafe or a little bar and, and just look at the roof yeah. going. There was a British um, TV series called Pie in the Sky. Did you ever oh, see I that? Love that. Yeah. With the guy with one uncle. Uh, Richard Griffiths. Richard Griffiths. Yeah, from yeah. And you know, he had his big garden and his chicken out the back, and he'd go and get, and like, you know, it was supposed to be a police procedural sort of show, and it was more about cooking, yeah. cooking and eating. He was and in, Richard Griffiths was a dude, he was in With Nail and I. Oh, like right. With Nail and I, which is a classic movie. There is cooking in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's well, like I, I, I always laugh when I watch the Harry Potter movies yeah. and he rocked up. That's right. And Pine was awesome. Mm. Yeah. Did you see that? I vaguely remember it. I especially remember the name. Yeah. Because I'm quite late. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it was it was on the ABC for ages. Yeah, it was, it was late. It was maybe I don't know I don't know how old you are or even maybe it's like your bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those shows that Mum and I had watched together. You know, it was like 
it was sort of gentle enough English humour. Yeah, was it wasn't violent enough to? Because I would have been really young when it was on. It wasn't the midsummer. No. It was actually kind of quirky. No. But I think I'm thinking of it as like reruns on the UK. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like in the in the days of digital downloads and, and like I downloaded and watched it again with Vanessa because she'd never watched it and it was just like such a Brit- it is so British it's the most British of British shows I, I love British TV I mean there's some good American stuff British TV is kind of where it's at for me but, but I'll, you, you go back to those influences and, and um, I've talked like sort of River Cottage and, and Jamie Oliver sort of, you know, I've got that fixed in my mind as where that sort of got me into first principle food and cooking. But, like, that's probably the first influence, you know. There's this bloke that used to potter around the kitchen and cook whatever he wanted and it was all fresh. Sowing the seeds that it's a lifestyle. Like, there are people that do that. That's right. So when you see that other stuff, you're open to it. I'm this is the lifestyle that I know about. And it was all about the... Like, one of the big sort of running storylines slash jokes in the show was about him going to his farmer, the guy that produced his food, and they talk about, you know, what's in season and these potatoes are new and, oh, you should try them. And Yeah, yeah. and it's actually portraying food and cooking as being a passion rather than a job. That's right, rather than a process. Yeah. 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 That's right. American Americans like to do six seasons of twenty three episodes. Yeah, and they've got to create um, this kind of well, you know, my, my upwards trajectory, the storyline. My favourite TV show of all time is um, State of Play, the political, and it's like six episodes. That's it. Yeah, and I and know like, that one. you've never seen it? No. Oh, it is. Is it, is it English? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bill Nye, um, the guy from uh, the two guys from Life on Mars. I have to say, I don't watch that much TV um, oh, these days. It is just like. They talk about television shows, you know, like, oh, it kicks off on episode five. This is like, bang. It just drops you in and it is just, um, like, instantly engaging. It's just amazing. My favourite of all time is Absolute Power, which was a radio show. Yeah, right. Uh, it's got Stephen Fry in it, but it's... Uh, and so it was on the radio. I think they had three seasons on... Three sets of six episodes on the radio and then did a couple of, couple of seasons on um, TV. Yeah, I think I saw but, that on uh, TV. It's about a PR. Agency. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that on it's TV. It's just the writing is absolutely amazing. Have you got, have you got um, pay TV? No, it's all about the... The download? Yeah. Yeah, but have you been watching the um, Australian <laughs> River Cottage? I've seen bits of it. I'm... I think, I think it's on, on, is it Wednesday nights or something, I'm never home, or there's, oh. there's some reason I don't watch it, I've seen bits. So. Yeah. Is it good? Oh, I can't watch it, it's too... It's, it's too still too raw? No, no, because I was in the, I was in the mix to, to host, so it's just too, I just, because I've heard a couple of bad reports, and I'm like, 
I just I don't want to watch it and go, oh man, I could have done such a better job because you, you might not have. He might be constrained by. Um, this was their idea, and that's how. They yeah, were yeah, that's right. They might be going. You must do this, and they have a real formula. Whereas the the British one again, the whole thing was that, you know, he drove it from his experiences. It wasn't set to a formula, um, and I think his later ones where he's trying to separate the business and his private life, and it's done much more to a formula. Uh, no, in you, it was interesting. No, I, I but then I, I agree because I've found the last couple really irritating. But then the last couple of Jello Lawson things have also been irritating. But I started watching um, his new thing, which is about. Is it the fish one or the chicken no, one? No, no, it's a new... It's a new... New, new. new, new. Um, it's not the fruit. He's not doing fruit. He's doing fruit it's at the fruit, moment. Fruit. Yeah, fruit trying one. to get everyone to plant orchards. The fruit orchards. one is really good. Yeah. Like, it's actually enjoyable because usually it'd be on and I'd sort of watch it for a bit and then go... Well, he did, the, he did the celebrity come around and have a competition cook-off. And I'm like, oh, seriously? Like, I understand why Channel 4 want that. Yeah. Because Britain is really big on celebrity and... That would get ratings for them. Well, and also that the way that they do their contracts with their talent there, it's that's rather right. than doing a producing a season, it's like you know you're contracted to do yeah, the season and, and be used by the network. Well, so that that'd be really so easy TV for him to do. He would do nothing. Spreads the brand as well. That's it. Yeah, and he man, he is he is an industry over there. Because I kind of wonder when you look at um, people like Jamie Oliver and Heston Blumenthal like that whether um, the actual endorsement that they do off the back of these TV shows is possibly worth even more to them you know than um, the TV it's, it's interesting like, I don't know Heston that well I don't watch his stuff because he's real he's more science oh, like he's passion but it's more about the mad doctor experimenting so it's the, the best way to do things yeah how to use science to yeah it's, but, it's interesting but it's on a different it's not primal like a, yeah but River the d- Cottage, you, you watch it and you go, my backyard. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I aspire to this. You know, and, the, and, like, he got he got kicked out of River Cafe. I don't know if you know that. Like, yeah, yeah, River yeah. Cafe is, like, their... Yeah, yeah. And they basically said, mate, you, you're not... You're not going to be a chef. He was really messy, apparently. Yeah, messy and and like passionate, but he would he couldn't consistently pump stuff out, which is like the hallmark of a chef. You know, so he'd make something amazing and then get distracted by something else. That doesn't surprise me based on the <laughs> show. <laughs> but it's um, a really great um, documentary. I'll find you the name of it. Um, that is about River Cafe, mm. um, and they and uh, you know he's interviewed in it. He's interviewed in it. Um, uh, and it'd be and Oliver, Ben O'Donoghue. Yeah, a whole, whole bunch of different yeah. people. Uh, but it's just interesting to hear um, all their experiences. And also what's cool is you get uh, the different people who've worked there who are now you know, in the public eye yeah. who've gone on to run really successful restaurants and their sort of takes on one another. Yeah, because there's, a, there's a very big... Sort oh, of. it's huge spread. Like, even um, Cook Johnson worked there. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know I that. I worked with chefs at Indusheen, um, a pastry chef, Amanda, Sal will know Amanda's yep. name, brilliant, brilliant pastry chef. She worked at River Cafe, a couple of other people. Um, so the influence is huge. It's like that Shake Denise or something like that, yeah. where it's like you, a lot of them. A lot of those guys in those years, they all went off and did great things. That's it. And when you look at the ideals that um, the two ladies that opened River Cafe, Ruth and I can't remember the other one's name, yeah. 
the ideals that they had when they opened it, and neither of them were chefs. Chefs, either. yeah, so they're they just, just foodies. To, yeah, cook awesome food, Italian influenced. And then, they, then there was the commercial reality check, and that was around the time that they said to Hugh, you know, look, yeah. it's not going to work well, out. That's right. <laughs> but the, the Jamie Oliver thing, I read an interview with, with um, Steven Soderbergh years ago, and it was when Ocean's 13 came out. And he's like, look, love making Ocean's 13. Ocean's 13 is like our mates, you know. We get together and we do a film where we can just play up for... You can tell. For, for six months, yeah. But it's it's good film, yeah, Absolutely, that's what it's but, but he had a deal with Warner Brothers, and it was you will do something really commercial and then um, once you do something really commercial we'll let you do three indies like one for you a couple for you yeah yeah one, one for us to make us money and then three that will barely make money back and that's the feeling I get from Jamie Oliver he's like hey if I've got to sell my soul to Woolworths to be able to do get rid of caged eggs in Australia quite happy to make I'm that sure, compromise. I'm sure I read an interview or saw him on something recently where he said something along those lines, yeah. which was basically you, sometimes you've just got to make friends in the right places so right. you can achieve the school dinners oh, and stuff like that and, and the rest of it. You know, he, he leverages the endorsements. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that, you know, uh, that's, that seems like a positive. I'll tell you what. You can stick to those ideas I, I, I think I think he if you got him completely candid he would say I haven't made the 100% the right decisions but I think he would think that he's done enough good to balance off the commercial yeah. compromises that he's made well, those, um, what does he call them is it School of Food is that the, the, the Ministry, of, Ministry food. of Food yeah I knew it was something more kind of um, yeah Sal, Sal reckons revolutionary in, in Ipswich that is making a huge impact well, he's doing a bunch more now in Australia that have been announced. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, some kind of tie-up with the good guys as well. Oh, right. And, you know, again, going back to my retail property days, the good guys are kind of there, like, um, more about reach rather than trying to do upmarket yeah, yeah. Yep. and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, all of those, I guess, different touch points, the Ministry of Food... Ministry of Food having a tie-up for the appliances, all that, it just spreads that message a bit further. Yeah, so. and I don't know if you guys, do you watch Gruen? A little bit. Every now and again. That, they did a thing on his announcement with Woolworths, and it was really, really interesting. Um, it was not, the announcement was him sitting in, like, obviously one of his work kitchens, um, no Woolworths branding. He mentioned them a lot by name, and what he wanted to do, but there was no logo, nothing. Nothing, that, like, if you watch that with the sound on, you would not know that he was announcing an, an arrangement with Woolworths. It's really, really different. Interesting. You know, when you think of, like, the One Direction promotion and the, and the, the status quo promote, like, you know, where everything, like, the brand is, the, the logo's everywhere, and it's just like, how much can we sell out? This much. Yeah. Oh, around. Um name from AdFab, she's not in AdFab, but um, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. No. She did the Coles one, yeah. Don no. French, Don no. French. Oh, right. See, I, I watch no commercial television. The really only either. commercial television I get is through Gruen, so... Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the 
kind of one. It's interesting though to see the Jamie Oliver tie up and then Hastings Stunner tie up with Coles. With Coles. But um, I, you know, Heston's Heston's got a different message. He's doing yeah. something different, as you said before, oh. around the science. One of the guys on Gruen had a theory that Coles and Woolies have had this sort of. Um, fight to the bottom for low cost food, which which I absolutely hate. Like, like I shop at Woolworths. Like, there's really not much option in being You know, IGA and the IGA is pretty poor. Um, um, and I'll, I'll come back to that about this IGA I saw in Atherton. Did you? I don't know if you heard that on the podcast, but it was just mind blowing. But um, so they've had the race to the bottom on price, and what Woolworths is going to do with sort of Jamie Oliver is sell stuff that's not on price that's on quality so you know free range eggs or free range pork or you know grass fed beef and they can attack that portion of the market that people that do actually care about that sort of stuff and they can just capture that sort of market and we'll, and Coles have got nothing like that you know Coles's whole message is we've got the lowest prices yeah so that's why it's kind of interesting for them to do a tie up with Heston because mm. that's definitely not what he's about. No, he's not really about ethical food, announced. is he? Like, you know, I just, I go to Colton Woolies, you know, if it's an emergency requirement or, you know, toilet paper, tissues, laundry detergent, that yeah. sort of thing. Dry goods. Yeah, but the minute, the minute they did the tie up, there was Heston products in the supermarket. It's like Woolworths now. Christmas products, you know, with the yeah, the pudding, actually, I have the seen the Clementine in it. And yeah, all yeah. That. I, I bought one of the puddings. I thought, yeah, give it a go. go. Because apparently, but and they're Waitrose branded, so oh, right. it's a similar deal with Waitrose as yeah. Coles. So it's probably just a um, a really good uh, like they can do it because they can. It's it's they're just leveraging off an, an existing product. Yeah, just brand it with a bit of coal stuff. Over. It's not even packaged with coal. It's still white trash. Ouch. So um, what's his angle? Is it just we stock Heston stock, or is it the same? Get it. Yeah, see that, and that's what I, I find really interesting about it's the Jamie thing. Is is he's gone? I'm coming into this market, but I'm going to come in and change Woolworths. I'm going to use my power to yeah. change the way Woolworths is as a supermarket. So he's he's almost like, okay, you've got me, but if you want me, you've got to change. Yeah. So it's it's not. It's interesting because it's not just selling out. I don't think it like the the way it comes across is it's not just hey here's my name you can sell whatever you I want. The, he's coming in with honourable demands. Yeah. You know, he's, it's not just it's like I'll take that tasty paycheck. Yeah. But you've got to. Do and it's it's. Like, I love the guy, but I'm never going to buy his frozen fish fingers. No. I'm sorry. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that um, partnership plays out mm. in this market in the, in the longer term. Well, I think the cage eggs thing is, is, is the candle in the mine. Yeah. If people respond well to it and you see a real upturn in yeah. free-range eggs, because like, they're not phasing them out until 2016, it's a long process. I don't quite understand all of that. How can they phase it out? Um, because they've probably got existing contracts. Yeah, but, I mean, like a free-range egg, I guess you can put a definition around it, but... Which is very, very loose. I don't really... I I haven't really looked into it. I didn't buy free-range eggs until... Very, until I, well, I basically got, I got chickens because the definition's too loose. Yeah. It's the same as... There, there is one mob um, that put the stocking densities on their packet and they're the only ones I'll buy. Like, if I run short on eggs, 
because that, like they just say we stock X amount of chickens per hectare. Um, I, I usually buy them at like buy them at meat at Billy's and yep. they get some direct yeah. from and, and see that's the thing yeah. meat at Billy's because you've got that relationship of trust with them you know that they're not going to do the dodgy and stock of crap free range egg I, I think it goes back to the, like we're talking about small bottle shops and stuff like that and the guys over there are very knowledgeable and friendly yeah. and they you trust those guys you yeah trust that's them, right yeah. you, trust you, you trust that they've done the research yeah. for you and that's right yeah that's it and you kind of like becomes a social experience like if you go to these you know smaller businesses where people are actually giving a shit about what they stock and how yeah. they do it you know you have that rapport with them um, if you want to get you know a different cut of something or something unusual yeah. you can phone them up and they're like yeah we can do that well, look, I came across them because I tweeted can anyone get me turkey drumsticks and 10 minutes later it was we can get them for you when you need them now the, the, Billy's is a very because that's my industry and obviously we serve them but they're a very interesting um, sort of uh, case because that shop was when I first started working for the company I work for was the worst butcher shop in Brisbane okay absolutely no doubt um, the first time I walked into that shop the dude was cutting up steak with the cigarette in his mouth <laughs> and he's like oh okay I'll give you an order and he put the cigarette down on the cutting board next to the piece of steak and I was like holy jeez so I just it's changed hands since then yeah oh probably two or three times but it was always a problematic shop it's not a big shop there's no good parking but it just goes to show if you have um, someone that goes in with passion and knows their stuff yeah. Like, that is probably, you know, in the top three or four butcher shops in Brisbane now. Um, and, and it's not particularly high-end real estate or anything. It's not, it's not like the one at, at, um, um, at Gasworks, which is, like, from scratch. And it's an amazing butcher shop, and they do great stuff. But they've had the advantage of going into a green building and, 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 and starting from scratch. Yeah, but even when you look at... The way that they're merchandising their stuff, it's not a patch on what Billy's doing. Well, the, the, the best thing about them is they know how to engage and market themselves. Yeah. Um, mm. every, everything they, every picture they put out, every tweet they do, every mm. Facebook, every whatever they do, it always looks good. It always it, sounds it, great. It's very interesting how it's easy to be a small boutique shop in this day and age with Facebook and Twitter. Um, because I ran the equivalent of a live music venue, like a small underdog live music venue as Billy's, and I would have killed for having these tools. There's no way we would have gone, um, you know, like, I, I think my job would have been so much easier with, with having Twitter. Yeah, because I have to say that I always, like, knew about the alley. Yeah. Uh, I think I maybe went there once or twice. Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, it's... Not it was a local pub, yeah. so it had its real hardcore, of which I was one before I worked there and managed it. Like, it had its hardcore followers, you know, people that went there because it was their pub. Yeah. But then we had the transit, so you get the herd in and all the herd fans are coming. You get hilltops in, all the yeah. hilltop, you know. But the thing was, is it was very hard to get that information out. Now you could have a small indie band and every single one of their fans would know that they were playing at the alley on a Friday night because they'd all follow them on Twitter and they'd tweet it like 50 times before the, the show and, you, and you'd get them all to come out, you know? 
and and they and they tweet you and say what time such and such on, and you could tell them straight away. So I guess now the thing now that people can do that with social media, with their live music venue or their food business mm. or whatever, their restaurant is um, the elaborate I think that people become really cynical. So what I know what I do looking at tweets from these businesses on social media or um, posts on Facebook. Is you were actually trying to detect that authenticity. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, if they outsource that. Yeah, and. Well, well, you know, oh, if oh. someone's telling you, go here and buy this product, yeah. that doesn't really work. You know, that's not, that doesn't meet the authenticity test. Um, it's been interesting, a couple of social media people with degrees have been talking on Twitter lately about, um, you know, social media experts and stuff like that. And I actually think you're better off having someone that understands the industry and is involved in social media than someone that's got a degree in marketing but has absolutely no concept of what they're trying to to, to promote socially. As an example, there's a um, a bottle shop. And it it is an independent bottle shop. But instead of having someone tweet from the business who like knows about wine and spirits and beer and whatever they outsourced it to a um, to a social uh, social media marketing agency and it's just like you know so this bottle shop sends a tweet to me and other people who are interested in wine yeah. going oh I've got this delicious Sauvignon Blanc and it's only Fourteen ninety nine a bottle. I mean, someone that really knows about wine is going to realise that I don't really want to know about cheap Sauvignon Blanc. Well, you know? I'll tell you a story about this. Is uh, I, I did a little presentation about social media to a consulting company, and Dan Murphy's is one of the examples I use because um, ages ago I was looking for a wine or a scotch or something, and I, and like they've got a social media account, and I'm like, hey, what's if I want to buy a bottle of whiskey this weekend, what's good? And they're like, um, well, it varies from state to state. You'll have to go to danmurphys.com and check the state specials. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't care about the price. That's not the question. That's not the question. Look, if you don't have someone that knows your product range intimately and can go, hey, if you're in Queensland, because you can find that information from a tweet, it's not that hard. You're in Queensland, you should be buying this, we're running this special, it's amazing, do you like this, this or this? And it's like, it just drove me insane because knowledge of the product, they could have sold me like that, yeah. but, but they just lost me in that. Yeah, I, I went and bought something from somewhere else. Lack of authenticity. Um, so I think social media can be an absolute boon to people, that businesses that... That, that, that are like doing food or wine or... And... Uh, yeah, it's, but it's, it's really almost got to be people that are, you know, in that business or connected yeah. in that business. So, I mean, I know with Billy, he doesn't do all of that himself. No. But he has someone that comes and works he, in his business, yeah. loves the product. Well, Emma knows food. Yeah. Yeah, that would, you couldn't do it. You couldn't convince if you didn't. You know, no, like, and, she, and she does it from the shop. So she's well, there and she's talking to them and they try stuff all the time. Like... You know, I drop in because Emma, who does the social media stuff there, is in my herd chair. So I'm dropping milk in, and they're like, just about every second time I walk in, they're like, here, try this. 
You know, they've got something cooking there. Always cooking something. They're the always trying something. It makes me think, maybe I could be an apprentice butcher. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really like, if, you know, that's a butcher, but if you look at a restaurant or a cafe, what actually excites people is to hear about, oh, we're, you know, trying this new dish, this is what it looks like, like a big stew from Kingsley's. Yeah. So, you know, Kingsley's, you know, it's coming through their official social media channel, but he's the head chef there. He decided that the, the burgers weren't quite the way he wanted. He wanted better buns for his burgers. Um, and so, you know, they make their own buns already, but he decided yeah. to change the recipe. So he and some of the chefs there cooked a batch up, took some photos, yep. put it on Twitter. That's actually what people want to know. Yeah, well, there's people look, there who are passionate and engaged. If I was doing. close enough to go to that restaurant, I'd be like, okay, when are you doing your taste tests of the best three buns? And I'd be there. That's like, kind of what he's put out. Like, he didn't say, you know, didn't address those tweets to you, you and you. It's yeah. just like, hey, this is what we're doing. Here's a photo. I mean, yeah. photos are pretty, it's, that's, that's the thing that's compelling. You can look at it and go, yeah, that looks all right. Mm. Everybody knows what they like in the burger as well. You know, it gets, it's, you're putting something out there that people are going to go, oh, I like it, you know, fluffy and white, or I like it, you know, the, the damper yeah. kind of Have stuff. Have a conversation about it. Yeah. Very, very interesting one. There's a, a mob in Melbourne that do sandwiches um, that tweet quite a bit and get good, really good endorsements from people that go there. And so, like, I've been to Melbourne like three or four times, but they don't open on weekends. And um, I finally was in Melbourne working on a weekday, and I'm like, right, I'm going to this place for sandwich. So disappointing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was like, seriously, I could make a better sandwich than this on a Saturday. But it's with a them. sandwich, you know, like. Oh no, 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 no! Sandwiches no. is an art. Yeah, sandwiches are like, sandwiches are like the, the testing ground of a a good home cook. I reckon yeah. if you could make a kick-ass sandwich. Yeah. Oh. I guess there's an art to it because if you put things on in the wrong order, the bread gets soggy. There is all the right combinations. There's the there. tendency to throw too much on. That's true. Yeah, yeah, so and you've got to carried away halfway, going, oh, I'm yeah. gonna throw mustard. Well, you get a sandwich made at like a, you know, sandwich bar, and they go, I'm, you know, I have a chicken and salad sandwich, they put all this stuff on, and then you know, the tomatoes like way down there, and all this other stuff on top. Do you want salt and pepper on there? Yeah, I do, but I wanted it on my tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. But it's even like, I used to go to um, a carvery at Tawong, and I think they made their own gravy. Yeah. Or they they did something to their gravy, and you used to get, like, you know, your roast pork sandwich on the whitest of white bread, but with this amazing gravy. And I could not walk past that place of, oh, I think I love a roast pork sandwich. <laughs> so, yeah. but... Okay, so I'll pay the sandwiches then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, Boxing Day for me is all about sandwiches. Like, I like my roast Christmas lunch and everything, but you've got to overcook, yeah. you know, huge amounts of pork and, and roast potatoes so that you can have the perfect Boxing Day sandwich. That's what it's all about. The restaurant that I'm at now, I took over a few weeks ago and I went in and I saw that they had a meat slicer. Yeah. And I went, we're closed over Christmas, I'm taking the meat slicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I... When I left the pubs, I worked at Salt in Rosalie, um, just doing like occasional weekend shift. And the thing I liked was the combi oven potatoes they used to do, because they had these like really nicely seasoned potatoes. But those, com- you know, the combi oven gets it crisp, but it's so moist on the inside. And so I'd just get like bread and like put an inch of these combi roasted, heaps of salt. Oh, that was a good sandwich. Yeah, I worked with the chefs when 
she always used to say the first like two years of her apprenticeship she lived on mashed potato and sugar. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Every night, staff meal, she's like, no, oh, mashed potato and sugar. You what? know, you work in a restaurant, you get, oh, this is way better than I can do it. This is what I'm eating. Yeah, yeah. When we first moved to Brisbane, um, we lived in a share house of six blokes, um, and like we sort of mostly cook for ourselves, but me and my best mate, we sort of share, cook together, and we would buy a 10 kilo bag of potatoes every three days. <laughs> oh, gee, God. That's a lot of potatoes. Mm. That's a lot of potatoes. Have you guys come across, um, I don't know if you read food blogs that much, um, you know, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them are horribly unethical and just sort of, I, I read a couple. You know, I was reading um, a few last night. But, one of the ones that I really like, it's actually by a, a local lady, um, Janet. Unfortunately, I forget Janet's surname, but her blog is The Old Foodie. Oh, yes, Janet's yes, yes, yeah. a uh, food historian who lives in Brisbane. Yep. Uh, one of the, the books that she's published that I always remember is about the history of the pie. Yeah. I think that's a very noble thing to write a book about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but on her blog, she, she writes something on her blog, I think it's every weekday. It's usually about a history-related food topic. But she had one on there recently about um, chip buddies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was about you know buddies in general, but how a oh, chip yeah. buddy was really that's the that, that ultimate, is the ultimate. Yeah. Real butter. Yeah. Lots of salt. And, and I reckon I'm gonna put a chip buddy on the menu this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know I reckon it it sell like hotcakes. Yeah. Well, it's a nostalgia. Uh, you can't get that anywhere else. But the only thing she said is like a chip buddy. It's not a sandwich. It's not two pieces of bread. Yeah. It is one piece the of bread folded, folded in over. half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, important. Yeah. Important definition to chip bucket. Um, whether you have gravy on it or not. No, no gravy on chips. No, no, no. I would have been a, been a gravy person on a chip bucket. The, wor- the worst crime with chips is tomato sauce. Oh. Uh, see, I, see I'm, I don't think you can go wrong with tomato sauce. Yeah, oh, see, I'm okay with tomato sauce. Yeah, tomato sauce is the one thing it is non-existent in my... I was actually thinking because interesting watching people um, with kids and, their, and food um, because obviously I'm trying to give my son a good grounding in food. I don't think he's tasted tomato sauce yet. Yeah, wow. You know, he, he pretty really much eats what, he eats what he, we eat. And if we put tomato on stuff, it tends to be... i buy those um, bottles of Sugo. Yeah. So that's sort of his tomato sauce. But it's, it's just tomato, it's no sugar. So, yeah, I guess it's the sugar aspect. Yeah, but... Yeah, but I see parents just absolutely smother stuff in tomato sauce. And, like, it is high, high in sugar. And I'm just looking at it going, well, they can't taste anything. No, I don't know, I guess... Like, I, my, I grew up in an area where there's a lot of European migrants, um, and my grandparents had European migrants stay with them as sort of refugees, as we call them today, after the Second World War. So, you know, they, they eat Aussie, they, yeah. they, they took turns cooking meals, and my mum says, you know, there was, um, you know, pots of yogurt sitting on the windowsill yep. and salamis out the back and that sort of thing. So my mum would trade her, you know, sandwiches with European <laughs> small goods in them for other people's Vegemite sandwiches because to her, Vegemite was sort of exhausting. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, yeah, so, 
Uh, so when I was growing up, my mum was kind of like she she was called Grassroots Magazine. It was mm, Health yep. Food Shop, Earth Garden, Butcher, all that kind of thing. Went to the Green Grocer. They knew me and my sister. They squeeze our cheeks and give us <laughs> give sweet us a lolly. green beans yeah. and bits of cheese kransky at the deli and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we definitely had tomato sauce. Like mum, mum and dad always had a big veggie garden as well. I just I don't know it's. But I, when I was a kid, I, my sister especially. I just, I just Not find, on everything, though. I just find it, there's two things I find it really offensive. Fried eggs. It's like you got this beautiful fried egg and you want to put sugar on it. Yeah. Oh, it just kills. I would put sauce on that. Yeah, yeah. all the time. Hot, hot, hot sauce, fried eggs and hot yeah, sauce. Yeah, hot sauce. Hot sauce is where yeah, it's okay. I, I, I could probably Yeah, okay. I could probably deal with hot sauce. But I grew up in Gladstone and we used to, in a fishing family, so always had fresh fish, always had fresh whiting. And then, obviously, when I came to Brisbane, you know, my supply was limited. And so I'd cook um, battered or crumbed whiting. When my parents would come down, they'd send me whiting or bring whiting down. And I'd cook it up for whoever wanted it in the share house, you know, trying to be democratic. And so I've cooked this plate up, and everyone's put their slice on, and one guy's... <laughs> tomato. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, it's fish, dude. You've got to have tomato sauce. And I'm like, well, you're having that piece. And that's it. You're banned. And that was it. No more fish for him. Lemon juice or Worcestershire? No tomato. Worcestershire? Worcestershire. I'm watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just I a little think, bit. Just a... Yeah, it's interesting. Because, like, um, Lachlan, he, if, I make, if we make we, one or the other, or just make, you know, chicken and vegetable soup yeah. in winter, you get a bit cold or whatever, um, he always puts Worcestershire sauce in it. And yeah, I right. thought that was really weird. And, you know... I'm, tr- I'm pretty stubborn, but eventually I tried it. And it's I'm good? Like, yeah, it's good. Because it what about avocado? It's nice undertow. Just yeah. to share on the avocado. avocado. I haven't tried that. I, wouldn't put, I don't put Worcestershire on anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not just, it's not to say I don't like it, but I, I put it in things, but I would, yeah. I would never think of it as a. Well, oh, try, try seriously, try avocado. Salt and pepper and Worcestershire sauce. Oh, the soup, yeah, that, that is fantastic. Nice, savory, yeah, yeah. Umami kind of yeah. undertone to the soup. Yeah. So I kind of get it now. But the one and the other one that drives me insane is I'd make a bolognese, like you know, probably not an Italian bolognese, but like mince and tomatoes and carrot, and cook down for like six hours, and I'd serve it to Vanessa with nice fresh pasta, and she'd go, "You don't need tomato sauce." <laughs> no. Yeah, not have tomatoes. I don't know about that. I, I, I wouldn't be good with that either. Yeah, no. I, that, that doesn't even make sense to me. No. So, yeah, but, but I might put Tabasco in it. Yeah, a bit yeah. of chilli. Yeah. Mm. Alright, we should probably wind this up. Plugs. What would you like to plug? Oh, I don't really have anything to plug. Come um, on, you got, you got a blog. Oh, I have a blog. What's the blog? Supertaster.com. I have it right on it. But what I should plug... It is plug, good stuff. When you I do it is uh, Extra Virgin Magazine, yes. so online magazine um, that I'm working on with Natasha Morange oh, yeah. and Maura um, Cobers and also Imogen Brennan. Yep. Um, so we're all people who have, have been in Brisbane at one time or another, so it's got to be a, a local focus. Imogen is a journalist who I believe is based in London at the moment. Oh, wow. 
so um, she sort of adds some international colour to things. So just a web address? Okay, so um, extravergent.net. Yeah. That's yeah, no, terrible, I, th- I think I it is. Know. Is no. that right? Yeah, um, that's the links I've been clicking. Yeah, so it's kind of a mix of um, you know, restaurant reviews, um, some pieces on wine and, and drinks, product reviews, some travel. Um, so, you know, we're trying to do something there where there's some good quality writing. Um, we fund all of our own visits to, to restaurants. Yeah. We're not, you know, getting paid for endorsements. <laughs> unlike like unlike Burmo telling me about his uh, visit to Tetsuya on the um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think those days are gone though. Oh yeah. The reality is that um, you know with there being uh, so many more online sources for writing about food and yeah. blogs and that sort of thing, it is difficult to work out which ones are. Um, Independent. Yeah. And what about Twitter? About Twitter. Uh, Twitter. I'm just me on Twitter, yeah. as I say. So you're, gonna, you're probably going to have to spell that one yeah, out for so us. Yeah. So Kira, K E I R A underscore Macintosh, M C I N T O S H. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's me, and I also run some wine tastings in there. Swell Smith's Fit. So on Twitter at which which. Always makes me envious that I don't live in Brisbane anymore. It's very hard to. Um, you know, I can give you some advance warning and maybe can't. tee something up. Yeah, Pro- probably have to be before March, I think. So, <laughs> how about you, Rory? Um, I guess I could plug the restaurant that I work at, Picnic Cafe. We opened a month ago, maybe, or, yeah. or thereabouts in Camp Hill. Um, or Cafe, the restaurant that I used to work for. Ooh, um, Camp Hill. What, what time do you open on Friday afternoons? We are open on a Friday from 7.30am until the kitchen will shut at 2 and then reopen again at 5.30. Oh, you'll be seeing us for dinner on Friday night then. Do you, do you, do you cater for two-year-olds? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I actually... It's very family friendly. Very, very. It's increasingly family friendly. So the, the, the uh, one time Vanessa and I have to go anywhere for a meal is we do a changeover before I coach footy on a Friday night, um, which is in Camp Hill. So fantastic. When I'll be there. I went there. I'll there be there actually on a Friday. More newborns. Yeah, right. But I mean, with their parents, I should yeah. say. Just it's just it's the own. newborn cafe. Yeah, there was more parents with newborns than I've seen in any other. And that was that was a Sunday afternoon. It which was is Sunday afternoon. Not, like you should see it on like today, for example, like a Wednesday at eleven thirty a.m. Yeah. it's just you can't walk for the prams. Curtis is a pretty good, pretty I good think restaurant. They were well behaved. Kids, so. children, and on Twitter, uh, Forever Dudes. Yep. But that is more of a me being a moron, <laughs> tweeting about indie rock and comic books rather than food. Well, no, every now and again I do tweet about food. 
That's what Twitter's for. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Bezo or at Lantanaland. Um, and I'll probably post this one up tomorrow. So Sweet. thanks, guys. Thank you.